Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Dale Alexander. I've had an amazing experience working with him in the past. He's served as a creative director in the agency world, creative director of the Dallas Mavericks, and now he's on to some new, fun, innovative initiatives with Zealous. We're going to talk about what he's learned throughout his career and dig into what NFTs mean for brands. Let's talk to Dale. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Dale Alexander. Thanks, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is great. My pleasure. In studio, in person. I know. Is it 2019? It feels (laughs) like we're at the marketing room. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a little history for the audience. Uh, You and I go back to TMA, Mm -hmm. where I was hired as an inexperienced live action producer. (laughs) We had a great experience working on the Jordan Spieth fandom, of all things. And the thing that I remember most about that activation, which I'm sure we'll dig into a little bit of what you were doing there and what the thought process was behind all these amazing projects. Sure, hit me. The coolest thing for me with that project uh, and to give the audience some background, we built a 30-foot dome, you and I with our bare hands, bare hands just the two of us. Single-handedly. Just, in yeah. one day. One day. <laughs> we broke for lunch. Tacos, I think it was. Yeah, tacos. Yeah. But so we had a 30-foot do- foot dome built. We did a shoot with Jordan. You, along with this amazing animation team, developed these fully immersive 3D graphics that filled up this dome that people could go into. Right was all about Jordan's life, how AT&T would benefit that. And the first activation was at Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. And he won. He did. That was, I was so hyped. I can't prove that he won because of the fandom. I can prove it. But it definitely yeah. was spirited his efforts. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that was, so that was my first time I'd come from a smaller design studio into this like big world. And so it was interesting, you know, going to an AT&T meeting and be like, we got 100K more for the campaign or whatever and feel like, whoa, whole new world. You know, going to these golf courses and say, hey, I'm bringing Jordan Spieth here. How will you roll out the red carpet for us and then pick which one rolled it out further than the others? But I had never experienced the tie to sports and brand the way I did in that moment and the way that you apparently have through your career with what you've done at TMA, what you did at the Mavericks that we'll get into. Uh, It's going to be interesting what you do now at Zealous. But is that something that ever factored into or added any pressure onto the things that you were doing? Or is that something just completely apart from all that? Not not really. I, I think a lot of people, my goal was not, man, I love sports. I'm going to do a whole bunch of sports marketing yeah. Um, cause the truth is, uh, I am not the sportsiest of, of guys of the sportsers of, of people. Yeah. Yeah. The it's to me, a lot of some of the most interesting things are how can you figure out the most interesting diagonal to connect two things that on surface may not have anything really to do with each other. Mm. And so I've always, uh, been in pursuit of the diagonal. Like what are those ways to make those interesting connections because the like for golf i've maybe played golf four or five times ever in my life yeah like i i think it's beautiful out there it's just not for me yeah i'm a good top golfer and yeah. then i go to a regular golf course i did this recently and i find out i'm not a real golfer no it's i way different. yeah but that's that's some people's jam you know and they they yeah. love it but for you know, the, the lay person, you know, Pebble Beach, I think you're even an attendee, you're more than a lay person, mm-hmm. but we are all humans, you know, and I think we have so much more in common with each other besides like what we're, our diehard, you know, fascinations are. Mm-hmm. And so if you can find interesting ways to revisualize, re-illustrate um, interesting things that we all have, our, our own history, our own mm-hmm. life's history and do it in a way that is interesting and done in a way that, you know, might bring some whimsy to it. No one's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. That was, that was essentially what drove that specific concept for the fandom and yeah. also just being able to project it in a 360. So you have this, 
you know, this lifeline time chart coming, you know, to life in the round of, uh, right. you know, super cool guy and a very young guy. Cause like he, he was not like, it wasn't Arnold Palmer, you know, 80 right. years of golf. He was like, I think it was like 22 or 23 at the time. Yeah. Uh, but he still had tons of history um, and so much success in golf. Uh, they ended up it being a super cool thing to do. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, what I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. Ice Shaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo, engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC drop branded ice shaker at icesaker.com forward slash DLC drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC drop. Yeah. So you've had this career where you've been in the agency world. You're recently at the Dallas Mavericks, which was a dream job for me, for you from what I yeah, understand. Super cool. I mean, amazing. You're now getting very innovative with Zealous. Can you take us back to where did this start? Where did this interest in creative and brand begin for you? So I was born in Thailand. I was born mm -hmm. in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. And uh, both my my wife's favorite cocktail party, Factoid, is both of my parents were spies in the CIA. So really? that's what brought us to... Are you allowed to say that? The uh, their, yeah, this is long, our last long, podcast. They're <laughs> long retired. Yeah, shut <laughs> oh, them down. Shut them. <laughs> shut these guys down. No, they're long since retired. Um, and so they were stationed overseas. And I grew up essentially for the most part in Southeast Asia. So every two, three hmm. years, we would have to move to a different place um, and kind of like start fresh. And our family, I'm an only child, so no brothers and sisters. How many times did your name change? Did every time to you my, moved, To you my knowledge, to I've always change. it's always been the same. Okay. Um, the but our family they would uh put in vhs tapes and like stick it on nbc and like just record hit record uh -huh. for like five hours and so it's just sitcom after sitcom and commercials and commercials uh -huh. and they would ship the tapes to us and i would watch those tapes over and over and over again and to me especially as a kid like the commercials were as cool as the shows were mm -hmm. and so like you're fast forwarding the wrong part yeah yeah like i would watch everything there was no fast forwarding <laughs> yeah and uh and when I, I think, you know, as I matured and found out like, wait, that's like a job. Like you, like someone gets paid to make these like little mini movies called yeah. commercials. And so that's I, like, I just knew like, that's what I, that I was interested in doing that. Not that I was like, man, I just love selling stuff. It was like mm -hmm. more of making these like mini movies is like how I would think about it in my head. And, and that's what grew my fascination. And then I just kind of followed it and through a lot of luck and trying to figure stuff out and yeah. being right place at right time, I was able to, you know, make a career out of it. I had a similar fascination and I, I discovered it actually when I was in college. Um, I took a hiatus from college, skateboarded all over mm -hmm. and then I went back. Yeah, so cool. And thank you. And so I went to Sacramento State, shout out Hornets. <laughs> um, <laughs> not in Thailand, in California right, right. Uh, for the audience. Uh, but I had an advertising class and the moment that I made me really want to make commercials and campaigns was chocolate dipped Altoids. So chocolate dipped Altoids. I haven't even heard of those. Well, you're about to saddle up. So they had this campaign of commercials. I think it was five or six different commercials that all just had a wild concept. And the one that really grabbed me the most was there's this guy sitting at a coffee shop and he's half deer and half man. So he's got hooves and he's got antlers. Go on. And he's like drinking his coffee, like, like lapping it up. And this couple comes up to him and they're like staring, you know, and he's reading his newspaper with his hooves and he stops frustrated and he says, 
yes, can I help you? And they say, are those chocolate dipped Altoids? Nice. <laughs> and his hoof pushes him to, to try. And then there's, there's like other versions of that type of a commercial. The old Mr. Rick, nice. Yeah, and man, from the moment I saw that, I've shown that commercial to so many people and like that opened my eyes saying, I want to do that. Well, That's their, what got me their print back in the day, their print was so good and so clever. Like there were mm. times like some people cut out like posters of like Michael Jordan and like put them up on the wall and I, I would tear out Altoid ads <laughs> just because they were, they were so clever. Yeah. And especially at that time, like it, it, it's like there, uh, there was a progression or an evolution to where like, oh yeah, we can have fun in this space mm-hmm. because I think for so long things were like so serious and like the product had to be like 115% perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, like we can't even show it. And now you have, you know, writing checks to influencers for 200 grand and like everything looks like crap and they're just like, yeah. great job, I love it. Well, I think at one point with food, they passed a law that in the shoots you had to use actual food yeah, because they were just using models of food that looked right. way better than the food itself ever could. Isn't that sad though? That it's like someone had to pass a law of like, hey, the thing you're advertising, you actually have to use the thing you're selling. <laughs> like that's, that's wild. I actually have a friend who he used to do photography for, I want to say craft foods or something. This is very random, but he would shoot ice cream all the time he said ice cream was the most difficult thing to photograph yeah because it had to be real ice cream and you and it melts and it melts that's what it does that's right it's made to melt the other thing that um has really interested me actually much more recently uh with advertising that i think equal impacted me equally is uh vayner media did something with budweiser Mm -hmm. around women's soccer yes and are you familiar with Uh this why don't you give a description of what it is the what so for so long the big huge fat checks have just been written to the male athletes right you know and all the sports stars yeah and the compensation is not you know the equality is not there when it comes to what they're getting from actual teams and franchises but Mm -hmm. also from the media dollars and just the leagues themselves but then in just the sponsorship Mm -hmm. realm and it was a very clever uh concept you know i wasn't you know, I'm not tied to this whatsoever, but from my recollection, it was basically putting a spotlight on it by showing like you are the future sponsor of, you know, this, this athlete and, or these athletes. And it was a great way to, I think, uh, use humor Mm because I think it was done in a good spirit, but it was definitely, you know, with, with the left jab, it was delivering a a nice little sign of the times social, social message. Um, and I, I hope, I hope it worked. I really haven't seen any thought pieces about like what, uh, what yeah. kind of shift in, um, and just the compensation. It, it worked had, tremendously. It, it worked, definitely worked. I think in the, the, for the, the mind account of yeah. all the different marketers out there, just like, Hey, we really need to sharpen our pencils a bit on this. Yeah. I think women's soccer gained like seven more category sponsorships as a result of that. And they basically had with a green screen, uh, blank products like yeah. a deodorant one and like a phone or a car or all these things and it did two things number one it raised the awareness t- for the need right but the second thing is it it created this white night moment for brands to say oh dove deodorant right. if i go in and i'm rescuing or i'm you know supporting this group that needs help that's a second prable opportunity in addition to the campaign itself and so in that moment that just showed me you know Altoid showed me advertising could be fun and cool and creative and that one showed me you can help human needs like I mean I think the soccer players are doing okay but to you know support equality between the men and women is pretty awesome and those that you know getting back to the the diagonals thing like I don't think the brief like was as specific and complicated as the net effect was. Yeah. But someone, you know, who are the creative team was behind it or the marketing team being able to come up with just a real solid concept mm-hmm. and then figure out the best way to make all those different connections. And to me, like that's the, the fun part. Any project that I've worked on, really the origin of the thought and then figuring out how to actually do it, Yeah, that's where all the fun is. Like when it's actually done, 
to me, it's always very fleeting because I've never been like a mm. big awards hound or okay. recognition junkie. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of like, okay, well, that was fun. Like fandom. Like as soon as it was done, I was like, okay, so like now what? Like what, you know, but yeah. I got to get back and figure out like what to do for college football or whatever it was sure. at the time. Do you think that's because you're part of a bigger team and it's like the next project, you've already got three to four projects or that's just kind of like how you're created as a person that you're more like back end rather than front face of the stage type of person? Uh, I think it's just like you do more of what you like, mm. you know? Yeah. And so if you that's really, true. if you really like the start of a thing, you know, the blank piece of marble, the piece of raw wood. Mm hmm. And trying to figure out, like, what could this be? If that's your fun part, I think that that's where instinctually you're driven to get yourself more into that yeah. zone rather than, like, all the finishing touches are done. And now you're just kind of, like, always looking at it over and over and over again and showcasing it. If that's what you're really into, great. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, human nature is just you have a tendency to get back and do more of what really drives you. Yeah, I think you're right. And so with what you're doing at Zealous now, how has you know, that internal drive shaped this most recent move that you've made? Uh, I'll get to the air through a rewind. Mm -hmm. So after being in agency world for uh, a good long while, I end up uh, being reached out to for a position, new position at the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. And it is uh, essentially, it's a VP of uh, creative there. And it was one of those, I was perfectly happy, loved my team, loved everyone that was at, at the agency. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things when I started thinking about, like, there's only, on a good day, there's only one of, of these that will ever be in Dallas, you know, lead mm. creative for a NBA franchise in Dallas. I don't have to move. Right. Good point. And it's kind of, you know, a, a rare opportunity to, mm -hmm. to do something like that. And then like, again, I'm not super sportsy, but the uh, it might actually help I, I yeah i had i had to you know do it just for the sake of like you don't want to be on your deathbed and just think like oh my god what 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 would have been like oh why didn't i do that mm -hmm. um so i i made the jump to do it and it was uh super fun and for me at that time it was trying to work the diagonals to figure out you know technically if you're in dallas and you like basketball, NBA mm -hmm. basketball, chances are you're already a Mavericks fan. Like, so there's no growth right. to happen if you're just going after and marketing to people who want to watch a game or like basketball. So it was mm -hmm. all about trying to figure out through the gaming community, through the music community, through the, our, the visual arts community, what are some programs we could spin up to start to put just a dollop of basketball into like those different things that they already have going to on. To grow the audience. To grow the audience. Mm -hmm. Not overwhelm it, not shove a basketball buffet at everyone's face, but just like, hey, we're here to support you and we're trying to figure out interesting ways we can do things and work mm. together. And so that that was a big charge that uh, I tried to do at, at the Mavericks to try and grow it because I love the team. I, yeah. I wore the hat just to continue to rep the brand, like a MFFL for sure. Yep. But there's always ways for even like some of the biggest franchises, sports franchises out there, you know, Dallas Cowboys, like biggest brand in the world. Yeah. I still think they have a ton of opportunity to, to do new and interesting stuff. Like it's mm. right there for the taking. Yeah. You just have to roll the dice. And I think at the Mavericks, you know, we're able to, to roll the dice in some good ways. But then, uh, well, let me let me uh, dig into that just a little bit sure. more because you were there at a very significant time, which was Dirk's last year. Right, is that correct? And so, I actually I don't know if you know this, but I got to go to his last game. Yes, and I, I was a guest of the NBA. It just so happened that guest of the NBA. Whoa, <sighs> <laughs> nice! Don't look me in the eyes. So, <laughs> so it just so happened that the NBA was trying to work out a deal with GameStop. And we were going wow. back and forth around NBA 2K League and all this stuff. And my birthday is April 10th. And I believe his last game was on the 9th, if I'm thinking correctly. And so they were in our office at GameStop. And some through some way, it came up that it was my birthday. They're like, do you want to join us in our suite uh, for Dirk's last game tonight? And I was like, Yep. And like they even gave me a cake with my name on it. Wow. I was like, guys, this is Dirk's day. It's that's not top, my day. That's tough. Yeah. And then uh, Larry Bird was there. Charles Barkley was there. I yeah, mean, it was, it was a full on extravaganza. Yeah. But so people who are residents of Dallas will remember that during that last year, there was a very mysterious message 
there were some numbers mm-hmm. on buildings. What were those numbers associated it, with Dirk? 41, 21, 1. Yeah. So 41, his number, 21 years, 21 seasons with the same uh, team, and that's what the one represented. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, that, that was uh, a, a fun time, and that was, you know, pulling out all the stops because I think even – um, people from the NBA, they were at, and they're just like looking around, just like, man, Mark, you really, <laughs> you really do this up well. Like, go above and beyond. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, I think it, so many different parties making that night possible, just mm-hmm. because everyone freaking loves Dirk. Yeah. Like, there are few humans and few sports celebrities that like run the test of time to yeah. where like it's integrity through and through mm-hmm. you know there's no bad headlines that you know come up and stuff like that and right. he's like he's one of those that just you know he is he's top shelf yeah material unbelievable so w- was there any um was was the number campaign you was it a broader team was there what was some of that thought behind it because it was it was very clever but it was really hard to figure out as well as like this fun like clue sort right. of uh thing going on in dallas at the time the so at at the time that was forty one twenty one one is was not me that okay. was uh like it was like an entire special like planning committee so dirk and mark they have like you know a team of individuals that handle a lot of their charity events and foundation events mm-hmm. and stuff like this and so it was really like putting on a show Cool. So knowing that the Mavs proper, it was, you know, working in conjunction and in tandem, but essentially like you still need people to do everything that they're already supposed to do. Yeah. And then also have this, this extra team mm-hmm. plan and implement and get all the lighting and do the 3D projection and all the mapping and everything to pull out all the stops. Yeah. Um, because that's just a lot of, for the actual, you know, marketing team and the team itself to to bear the brunt of because mm-hmm. that's another thing I, I i think there might be a misconception that all these big franchises have like a team of 1000 people and <laughs> endless resources to you know to do everything typically the opposite and that's yeah. not the case uh-huh. um because it, it runs a very uh, efficient team i think every franchise is trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to be most efficient yeah uh, but uh, it is a lot of people wearing a bajillion hats mm-hmm. in order to pull something on, like that off but the game presentation team that night and the, the social team and everything like that's where on our side of the house everyone pulled together to to execute that but it's a f- phenomenal night yeah that's an amazing thing that you had the opportunity to be a part of there so yeah take me to that next step after the mavericks the, so um at the mavericks super cool stuff the but then at back at team a there was a thing called in the know okay. i don't know if you ever attended those but it was a quarterly kind of educational thing it was in internal i was thing. not in the know so, so you, you weren't in the know about <laughs> in the know uh but it was a quarterly thing to uh it, it was like trend watching and putting together these kind of in-person like happy hour reports mm-hmm. and uh, about uh sometime in 2017 this whole blockchain web three bitcoin ethereum it was just coming out and i remember trying to do some research and i'm like this is definitely something i don't totally get it but Mm -hmm. this is definitely something and you know of course time machine i'm like kicking myself like i said i think bitcoin was like 150 bucks (laughs) or something back then right but i knew that it was going to be something and so i kind of bought in a little bit and have tried to tried to keep up them got very distracted at the Mavericks trying to like reshape and retool and do uh, all those interesting things there. But then it started to kind of like come back around. And of course, everyone, the kind of zeitgeist tipping point for people is NBA Top Shot. Yeah. And so I kind of got into that like, okay, this is, I, I, re- I remember and recognize the foundation and platforms that blockchain is representing, but now it makes even more sense with the visual wrapper of sports highlights and done yeah. in this kind of like digital collectible thing so kind of bought in a little bit more and then thinking of like wow the mavericks we can do all these interesting things with that Mm -hmm. you however you can't because like sometimes being on the inside you can somehow do even less because the rights there's rights issues with broadcasters whistle to whistle footage is owned by these people Uh, Uh, likenesses of current players you can't do anything without the players association mm. so there were all of these different um hurdles and i just i remember thinking back to when the internet first came out and i was too young to like be part of like the building of the internet type stuff sure but i just remember like all these wild stories and it just seemed like this real exhilarating 
fun time. Mm-hmm. And I was, I felt like I was like stuck on the beach as everyone was like, you know, surfing the web and cutting it up out there. Yeah. And I was seeing this, uh, the web three revolution, like it wasn't even surfing. It's like full on people on jet skis, just like out there tearing (laughs) it up. Yeah. And I didn't want to be stuck on the sidelines or stuck on the beach again. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, uh, through, you know, I've, if I can give any recommendations to you, like any young person out there, it's just like always figure out how to stay connected to people. Hmm. And so some of that is like just making sure that you're the type of, you know, person of high integrity and character that people want to stay in touch with. Sure. But then also just keep those, keep those relationships alive. However you can, because like stranger things, like you'll, you'll never know when that weird opportunity will come you know out of left field yeah just because you were like you were nice like it, it's not even right. that hard you were just kind of nice uh-huh. and you helped apply yourself and then you have these opportunities come over and so that that's what happened you know during the covid quarantine shutdown things got super super weird mm-hmm. but i just re i used that downtime when there's no basketball going on you're trying to figure out like okay now what yeah uh just reaching out back out to people. Hey, hope you're doing okay. How are things going? Can I help out in any way? Mm-hmm. And just through that activity, um, some interesting conversations came about to where it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, kind of interested about shaping this thing up that ultimately became what, what zealous is. Yeah. And providing that opportunity to get off the beach, hop on this really sweet jet ski and start trying to figure out what, what we can do in that, in the blockchain space. Mm-hmm. And so, that's that's what I did. Left a super cool job at the Mavericks. Yeah. Just because uh, I didn't want to look up, you know, the, the deathbed moment of like, oh, I spent 20 years at the Mavericks, which is great. But man, I wonder what that would have been like, you know, going over yeah. here and try to get a taste and have plenty of mess ups and hopefully some successes in this like fundamentally brand new form of technology. Yeah. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that look like waves nowadays. Mm. So uh, have you figured something out as, or do you have a litmus test to say, okay, I'm going to jump if something matches these boxes or checks these boxes versus jumping at every shiny object? That seems like something that can be really challenging right now as you're hearing about Bitcoin, Web3, the metaverse, esports, all these things. You can't do all of them. Right. But how do you filter through and assess a real opportunity i've never felt i feel like i'm doing more homework now than i actually did in proper school Mm. but it's because like i feel driven to do this like i'm not trying to like write a paper about the bottle of waterloo like that's not like (laughs) i was not interested in it and yeah but now it's it's trying to quickly ingest uh what the the rules of the game are so to speak like Mm -hmm. what the technological limitations are to then figure out okay so if this allows this to happen can you do the opposite of that you know just trying Mm -hmm. to have those little mind experiments and it i think knowing my own limitations like there are some things that i it's so much easier for me to reach out for the phone a friend yeah and figure that out rather than try to automatically try and teach myself solidity to so I can go off and code stuff on my own. Like, yeah. like that, that, that does not sound like a good use of my time. Yeah. But if someone has that backend technology and stuff, but they're looking for someone to help with a visual wrapper or figure out an interesting new utility to do on it, like I'm, you know, like let's, let's chop it up. Like I'm happy to, you know, mess mm-hmm. around and figure some stuff out. And so the, the team that we have now, that's what it feels like to where it, it feels like a bunch of us where we've been doing our individual homework. We're making each other better just by really being this like really good jazz band mm-hmm. to where once we can set a rhythm, we are able to can figure out ways for other, for each other to like come in and have this like killer solo. Yeah. So you've basically developed a team that sounds like it's very, it's, it's mutually beneficial. It's, it's collaborative where you've got different skill sets for sure. within there and then you can lean more in here on one and lean more on the other. Um, do you also kind of have a model where you can expand beyond your capabilities? I, I've, I think what I'm seeing in the agency world right now is you're seeing things get smaller mm-hmm. so you can get more nimble, but also because everybody's kind of working from home, there's a lot of freelancers, right. probably more than in the past couple of years, is 
these teams can very quickly scale up and add capabilities and then go back down so that your overhead isn't super high. Right. The, I, I love metaphors mm-hmm. and the agencies now uh, have, they've become the Imperial starships. You know? Yeah. So let's, let's use a Star Wars metaphor. They are the Imperial starships and the bigger you get as far as holding companies go, you get the full on Death Star. Yeah. Um, but being the Millennium Falcon to where it's a big enough ship to take on some load. Sure. You know, but you're still nimble enough to kind of draft and hang out and be a part mm-hmm. potentially to help out some of those starships. But then yeah. you can just like hit the hyperdrive and take off and go do your own thing a little bit. And that's what's been most liberating and exhilarating now is so frictionless uh mind experiments and figuring stuff out yeah because we are small enough and nimble enough to where you know the pot is right from financial backing we have Uh ip lawyers like some of the best in the country backing stuff uh we have the technology back end and then you have the creative execution for that Mm -hmm. but we we kind of set out to where we we aren't necessarily wanting to just be another agency like that's not what we're trying to do is go out and like pitch the business and we won this project and now we got to deliver and but, you know, we got to turn in our timesheets. You know, that's that's not <laughs> right. that's not what we're setting out to do. We're really, we, you know, we've uh, done a couple NFT collections and uh, learned. There, you were both, you know, s- successful. But man, oh man, did we learn a lot through yeah. some bumps and bruises. And to try and like recalibrate of like, okay, are we're not wanting to dance with everyone that comes and asks us mm-hmm. to dance. And yeah. so I, that's, I don't know very many agencies who turn turn down stuff right and so that that was new news to me and it felt kind of good yeah being able to not automatically just assign all of your time away because the uh the whole notion of opportunity costs is is very heavy now to where by doing this thing you know three of our core people are not able to do this thing do we Mm -hmm. do we want that Right. Yes. Like you know, that's what the conversation becomes. Whereas yeah. in the NC world, like sometimes, like you didn't even have a choice. You were just like, "Hey, by the way, you three go over here. See you in two months." You know. Right. And come back for come back for more because we got another one for you. Yeah. Um, so we're we're kind of out of that that model and out of that grist mill to where some of the things, some of the bigger, beefier things, we truly are coming up with some type of joint venture setup to where it really yeah. is a partnership. I have, so my first job after college uh, was a design studio, incredibly talented, really super small. I was employee number one, and then we grew to a bigger team. And the guiding light was less about what we wanted to be and more about what we didn't want to be. Yeah. And so the owner was just very clear about like, I don't want to be the owner of agency or a studio I'm not pumped on. Right. And so um, I kind of started with that perspective of, and essentially it was like, if Nike calls and we can't take on their project, we need to hire somebody else because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we don't want to turn out Nike projects. But there were plenty of people who would come in or come to us and it was a litmus test of, does this get me excited? You know, right. and there's also, you know, but I, I, you know, there's a balance too of how many capabilities do you hold in house? Right. Right. Because if you're if you're too focused on low overhead and being extremely selective, you might miss out on some things. Right. Yeah. I'm really interested in what you've learned about NFTs because it's kind of the buzzword. I think it's absolutely the future, but a lot of people really don't understand what they are and what's working and what's not. Right. There's these bored apes that are going for tons of money. How, and there's all, all these other applications with NFTs. Right. What have you learned that's uh, compelling to you? Uh, I've learned a ton. Um, not an expert. Uh, in spite of trying to keep up with as much as I can in the space, I you know would not call myself an expert. But it's funny. I, if I'm at some type of like neighborhood event or something, and it's you know get to know you. Hey, what's going on? I'm an insurance and so on and so forth. Oh, what what do you do? Mm-hmm. And like, I almost have to do a quick character study of who this per- who I think this person might be, okay, and and kind of like turn the volume knob on like, okay, how much information am I about to 
share with them because <laughs> right. like some people like you can just like feel the glaze just like go, go over and they're just like okay i'm so sorry i even asked who you are <laughs> and then there's some people that like i can tell they're like oh man okay interesting go on go on yeah so it, th- those are made for uh like definitely interesting interactions and the i, I think the the if i could do a reboot it would be uh, getting some of the jargon out of the space because I okay. think it's it's maybe doing more harm than good to help Gen Pop kind of come on board and embrace mm. things because you hear things like crypto first of all like I I believe a lot of people they hear crypto mm-hmm. they automatically think oh something with hackers like uh, hackers that's how they get your money they use the crypto you know mm-hmm. and that's that's how that there's an association there and I also think NFTs. Like, like the world needs another acronym, you know? Well, that's what I, with esports, I kind of talk about the same thing. I much, much prefer the term competitive gaming because if I tell you, yeah, I work in the competitive gaming industry, you're like, oh, I know what you do. Yeah. Right? I at least have some concept of it. Right. If I say I'm in the esports industry, first of all, you're confused right. as Wait, to the word you heard. Is that in the matrix? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. yeah. And then there's a, there's, um, a debate on if esports is an actual sport or not, which right. is not needed, really. So, yeah, to your point, I th- I'm a big believer that there's so much value in being a great translator between two groups of people. Agreed. And it's, you know, putting things in, whether it's common phrases or just a way for people to understand. So, how would you communicate NFTs to me if I'm this person who just thinks hacker crypto and I think what's what's what does nft stand for and what are these buzzwords right the i think taking it back so the underlying technology you know if you think of different things in the way you know it, it's been been explained is if you day one internet mm-hmm. if we refer to that as kind of like web one okay where it's like these direct connections of like i'm going to a central place like yahoo Mm-hmm. I'm going to yahoo.com and that like at the time it was like it was my sports it was my weather it was my everything whatever right. and then you get to the web uh, web 2 evolution where things are these kind of closed systems like you know social networks and things like that to mm-hmm. where um, they're all on their servers and people are creating and sharing their own content but mm-hmm. it's on the platform that's owned by them and so they're able to you know monetize like on YouTube like on that. Instagram right. on the, okay exactly mm-hmm. And then you get to what Web3 represents is the decentralized model. So if Web2 is all about the centralized model to Mm. where it's drawing all these content creators, drawing all these users onto these mega platforms Mm -hmm. where you don't really have any ownership or entitlement to it. Yeah, you might get, you know, a little compensation from YouTube if you have like tens of millions of views and stuff. Sure. But you're you're not you don't have as direct of a relationship with it as you um, as the Web3 world, which is decentralized. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's where things are, are heading and there's like tons of jank, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of clunkiness and so on. But again, yeah. like go back to web one and like, I'm, I bet there was like all kinds of jank. Yeah. Um, I remember like diamond up my, like my 56 K modem back in the day. And like, there was like jank city, you know, going right. on. And then <laughs> yeah. if you look back at the original Facebook or something, you know, um, or MySpace, like there was like tons sure. rough around the edges and it gets refined over time. And, and web three being able for people to have this decentralized, um, network and system to where everything is being run off of people who are these quote unquote miners, which again is another, term i think complicates things yeah so these miners are essentially running transactions on the blockchain mm-hmm. but it's a much better way to have uh dictate a, a historicity of whatever those transactions are or the provenance yeah. of a thing who's the true owner of these you know elements or these tokens are mm-hmm. and so nfts are these non-fungible tokens so unique versions of a thing mm-hmm. that are originated and added to the blockchain and every single transaction me passing to you passing to her it's all it's all listed out there and it's, it's yeah. a shared ledger that's happening i'll spare everyone the details about the actual how the how the blockchain uh, transactions are done and registered thank you but the but the <laughs> but the the web3 world and the tokenization of things so i i much prefer tokens Mm-hmm. as a way to describe that essentially my mortgage it could be a token because sure. it's like the paper deed 
that yeah. I own my house mm-hmm. or the bank owns your house or whatever the case may be. Right. So a tokenized version of that is something that I could store in my wallet. Mm-hmm. So uh, a crypto wallet, smart wallet, whatever you want to call it. But then also if I loved this particular, your favorite skateboard, mm-hmm. your, your favorite skater out there, if yep. he had a digital poster of him you know, on the half pipe right. and it, you really wanted that, but you're like, well, uh, you know, how much should I pay for this? Like, is it just like a poster that I could get at like, you know, some store? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. But now, you know, wow, that's really something. He only made a hundred of these. Right. And it's right there. All the proof is in the digital pudding. And so, yeah, I will pay a hundred bucks for that thing because I love this guy. <coughs> I know that he's getting, he's the beneficiary of this money because it's all there. That's another good point. It's in the smart contract. Mm. And I know that if I do sell it someday, that he will still also make money off of that because you're able yeah. to assign royalties uh, as part of the utility on the smart contract. Yeah. So that's that's different than if I just had this like sweet rolled up poster that I brought to you here and yeah. like, hey, would you give me a hundred bucks for that? You'd be like, eh, probably, probably not. Right. Because there's numerous flaws in the physical goods. And I mean, you, you have a son and the yeah. way the world is going like he's caring about physical stuff less my kids yes. are enjoying physical things less as i mm-hmm. just learned for yet another christmas to where i'm like i just buy you a bunch <laughs> of physical stuff but you know you loved your roblox gift card that grandma gave you like yeah. you love what that can get you you're more interested in that Absolutely. and so uh, i think that that's just where it's going and again that's another reason that kind of like got me to jump uh, from that super cool job to do yeah. something to where I'm, I'm able to more directly affect and try some stuff out. Yeah, I'll tell you just briefly kind of how I've wrapped my mind around it and what you've shared really helps too. Um, I think the first hurdle for people to understand is young people value digital goods the same way older people value physical goods. Right. And, you know, older people will see digital goods and they'll say, that's not unique. There's not, um, it doesn't, cost money to make that thing like this notebook you had to chop down the tree the paper mill you know the metal of the bindings all these things and maybe there's only a hundred of these and i know there's only a hundred because either they told me or they're numbered or what have you and so first understanding young people value digital goods like the golden gun in the game yeah secondly i think what the blockchain enables is authenticating that there are only a hundred of these correct because i think what older people uh will you know call bs on with digital is guys they could just copy and paste there's not a limit to how many golden guns you understand like these are unlimited but with blockchain it takes that away from what i understand because Mm -hmm. you do have authentication that there are in fact x amount right and so i think part of it is You just got to make the mental leap to understand that this is the perspective. You know, the reason the stock market works is because we think it works. (laughs) Yeah, we all have this agreement (laughs) that this market should work like this. And, you know, and so, yeah, it's it's a similar thing. And I think it's only as valuable as someone else will pay you for it. Like that's when you strip it down, like that is just the brute honest truth as far as the way markets work. And so if you truly, if you don't like the digital thingy bob, mm-hmm. you'll never like it. You don't ever understand why someone would pay $100 for it. Mm-hmm. But there are other people out there that were happy to pay you $1,000 for it just because right. they love that thingy bob. Yeah. And they love that there's only one of those and it is the foil chrome edition of or, you know, whatever the thing is. Right. And I think it's, so it's a combination of just like making that mental leap to just realizing it's a thing for a lot of people. So that's the consumer confidence piece. And then the other part is technology has adapted to authenticate these things. Right. So what I'm super interested to learn from you is, okay, we've established that this is a thing that's <laughs> that's going to be a greater thing. It's a thing now. How are brands utilizing this? How, as a marketer, as a creative, are you utilizing this new technology and this new movement um, for the next stage right. of excitement? Well, you know, again, getting back to, I, th- I think we are all humans and there are some things that like everyone shares. Yeah. And humans, they don't like to feel nervous, confused, or dumb. Like, okay. I don't know anyone who's just like, ah, I don't know. I, don't, I kind of enjoy feeling yeah. you know, nervous all the time. I'm with you on that. So nervous, confused, and dumb. And that is like exactly what 
crypto makes people feel. <laughs> they feel nervous about it. I don't know. Confused. I don't understand this. And dumb. It's just like, and they just like throw their hands up. Like, oh, yeah. that's uh, good point. That's just going to be a fad. And so I think uh, marketers, CMOs, brand managers are like freaking the heck out right now because they're trying to learn all this crap. Mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, right. everyone in their company is look, kind of looking at them and just like, Hey Jane, are you, uh, do you have our, you know, blockchain strategy, you know, our <laughs> NFT strategy, do you have that yet? Working and and then you're also getting that, you know, kind of business FOMO of you don't want heaven forbid, you know, if you're a QSR restaurant, heaven forbid, all of your other competitors come out with something and one of them works. And then everyone again is like really looking at you like, dude, come on, like how, where's our yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. But it's like the, Wendy's social media strategy. It's like now everybody needs a snarky yeah, <laughs> social ex- media account, it, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. And so I think everyone, it's like this game of like marketing double dutch. So like mm. the the jump ropes are going and everyone's like trying to figure out like, well, how do I, when do I jump in without getting whacked by the rope? And, right. it, and it's definitely something that, that this was not on anyone's budget, you know, for sure, two years ago, maybe Absolutely. some on last year. Right. And so there's that to contend with because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get whacked with the stick of like you pulled how much of our you know tried and true marketing budget to go do your fake digital crypto nonsense yeah and then if it is a belly flop then like man you're really in the hot seat and so i think everyone is super super nervous Mm -hmm. looking at each other um and and trying to figure out like how how best to move and that's that's one thing that we in particular like we're because we do come from that world Mm -hmm. instead of just chasing some type of artistic glory with this collection you know our collect our 10,000 pfp collection is going to be better than your 10,000 pfp and here's our roadmap three years from now we're going to have this kick you know this great game yeah or whatever the case may be and we're really trying to figure out what the layer of utility can we provide Uh to these brands to uh, make the migration I think migration is a, like a key word because mm-hmm. it's not just going to be a, a flip switch. Web two, web three, web two, web three. It's right. not going to be that. It has to be this very lovingly hand-holding migration um, over to the world. And not to mention a lot of these big brands, they do, uh, they've spent a ton of money on their own app and uh, everything to get those customer that customer acquisition for that right going years back that id the data and so now the the infrastructure of these apps you kind of have to blow it up and like tear down the entire house in order to rebuild it in order to take on the cryptographic layer like be able to hold all the tokens cmos aren't going to want to hear that then they don't and so (laughs) that's where it adds to you know just that total nervousness that i think there there is there but i think there's there's different types of nervousness the hopefully some of them this inspires them to actually learn more about it Mm -hmm. and be driven by that uncomfortable feeling but it's also like skydiving it's just like on the, the base layer, hey, I'm going to put you on an airplane and throw you out and yeah. you're going to pull a string and this thing's going to open. Like That just sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. yet people love to do that because I think that there's that exhilaration factor of going up to that ner- that ledge of nervousness mm-hmm. in order to figure out, like, if I make this jump and I pull my chute, like, you know, what what's, what's going to happen? Like, what yeah. I plan to happen, is that really what's going to happen? I hope so. <coughs> um, right. And I think a lot of people are going to uh, really do well mm-hmm. and then there's going to be tons of belly flops but again going back to the yeah. original internet how many belly flops were there back like sure we are dancing on the bones of all the failures of you know the, the beginning of the internet and that's yeah that's just how technology works well one thing uh, that i've started to realize i'm 38 years old now so i'm starting to get enough life where i'm starting to see trends yeah like most recently like cargo bands came back I'm so hyped because when I was getting sponsored at age 14 skateboarding, I was wearing cargo pants. Now I get to wear them again while I'm skating at 38 and feel like a kid again. That's just one great example. I know. So, I, you know, a lot of people I'm talking to, they see these trends and they're exactly what you're saying. It's like, oh, yeah, well, Web 1.0, this happened, this gr- this growth phase or this mm-hmm. investment curve or things like that oh yeah, there's going to be a rise and there's going to be a fall and then there's going to be a slower, uh, more sustainable rise again, things like that. I think something to be super valuable for our audience is 
getting your take on like for CMOs, uh, for account directors, as you're looking at this next phase, how would you do this uh, from the standpoint of brands love to be really safe? It could cost somebody's job, right? Absolutely. If they're like, we need to get into esports, we need to get into NFTs, right. and it flops, you're out. And so people, true. people want to be safe. Um, there's a lot of slow adoption for the way that brands execute. I mean, you know, at TMA, these bigger agencies would always be pushing like, hey, digital marketing or do this new thing. And they're like, eh, we're pretty good with what we've done the last right. five, seven years because we know how to measure that. We, we know how to do these things. Um, so, yeah, what would be your advice on... And Zealous, of course, can be a, a great resource for the audience to to accomplish these things. But how should people look at these things to not miss that first mover advantage, but to do so in a way that's as effective as possible? The I, I think, you know, I, I actually think you and I had a conversation way back in the day uh, at TMA because, we you know, we both love gaming. But when the whole notion of a gaming Sherpa mm-hmm. came about, that yeah. trusted individual who's not going to judge you to show you like how to, you know, in destiny, let's say like how to like, you know, take mm-hmm. on this, you know, sub boss and stuff like this. Yeah. That I think that that, I don't know if it comes in the form of like a consultant, a trusted advisor, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's not a whole lot yet. Right. Like there's not any, I don't think anyone uh, again, not an expert, yeah. Um, I'm trying to learn as much as I can, but there are some people that really start to know the space. Mm-hmm. And I think that a, a good web three Sherpa mm-hmm. is what I, if I was a CMO, I would start to be looking at. Mm. Um, I'm part of a, uh, a discord group that I love called jump. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's actually started by a guy here in town in Dallas of all places. Mm-hmm. And it is essentially people who have been, you know, Web3 curious, found each other and joined this Discord. And we are constantly helping, you know, iron sharpens iron. And cool. like, like we are sharpening every single day. Yeah. And it's one of those things you can have mature conversations. It's not this blitzkrieg in Discord, yeah. you know, that you can imagine like most of the servers are. Yeah. Because it is a bunch of professionals. <laughs> um having our own bounty system and trying stuff out and news shares and things like that. And so I've really gotten a a lot of it and I hope that I, I, you know, I'm bringing this same kind of, you know, utility back to that group. Uh, But it's fascinating, but a lot of the, uh, there's some stone cold ballers in there now, like big time Mm -hmm. people from Nike, from Adidas, uh, from some major other brands that are now part of the group. And you know, there's, there's a couple hundred, like I'll say, I'll make up a number. It's probably wrong. 750 people, let's say. Okay. And there's probably an active 100. Yeah. But I like to think that the other people are lurkers because they're trying to, that they're letting their curiosity lead them mm-hmm. and lurking in on some of these conversations and trying to figure out, um, you know, just trying to educate themselves so they can have at least some point of view when the boss points and goes like, Jane, where are we out on web three? And you're not just like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I, I think that there's a lot of lurking going on by some of the people, mm-hmm. but I, I think it, the best solution right now, that stopgap really is some type of Sherpa mm. type type process. And I think that there's some smaller entities, you know, funded entities that are bringing them on as like an equity stake, you know, yeah. and you know, if you help just get us through and help us online, we, we know the customer funnel and we know how to market this and so on and so forth. But what we do lack is we don't know how, we don't know tokenomics. Mm. We mm-hmm. don't know how to create and get a thriving Discord community going. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a lot more specific things to where like some of these, you know, highly specific skilled individuals now that four years ago could not get a job with yeah. my like, mathematics degree or whatever. Right. Now they're like the hottest person at the party mm-hmm. because, oh my God, I was a macroeconomicist working on like the Estonian <laughs> treasury, super boring. But now I'm like building this, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, space game. Right. You know, treasury. Yeah. And that's the type of, that's the type of thinking that's being deployed in this space now. And it's just like, I, 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 when I stumble across stuff, I just continue to be fascinated and, and and try to have that moment of gratitude of like what times we live in when all of these far-fetched things are work. 
Yeah. You know, like that's technically work. Like when I'm going down that rabbit hole, uh, it's, it's all for the sake of some type of like work-like output, but that's where it gets fun because where does work and play stop and start and can it right. all be smushed together? Yeah. Um, I think that that's what you're, you know, kind of experiencing now in your re- renaissance. Yeah. Trying. Trying to make money doing this thing, you know, it's a good time. Um, speaking of, you know, mashing up the passion and the interest with your work, uh, as we round out this episode, one thing I really want to touch on with you is you are really into improv comedy. Yes. Right. And one thing that, this is personally funny to me. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's funny, but when I first met you, I thought you were this super serious, intimidating dude. I get that a lot. And then I find out you're like one of the funniest people I know. And I'm so interested. I know you've done a lot in the improv scene here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And how has that um, influenced the work you've done and the work you're doing now or planning to do in the future? I would give every aspiring professional, every human actually, this advice. Go take an improv class. Mm. Because the everything we're doing now, it's essentially an improvised scene. There's no yeah. script. There's no real notes. There's no nothing. It's just two people having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And the, the best conversations are just built one sentence after the other, yeah. active listening, yeah. really trying to understand like what the other person's getting at. Mm-hmm. And then also reading the things that they aren't saying. True. Yeah. And so... You see when I frown every time, that's why you're changing the subject. Exactly. Yeah. But when it comes to per- performing um, improv uh, with, you know, your scene partners and so on, it is all about building up the person you're mm. with and the scene. Yeah. And if everyone has that, it's like a good relationship. Like some of the best marriages and stuff, it's mm-hmm. all about how can I add to my partner's benefit well-being versus coming at it like me 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 i'm gonna take the big punchline. good point yeah because if you it, it gets really uncomfortable if you go to a show and you can tell the person like the the glory boy who's uh-huh. just like dude he is wrecking this scene like he is like trying to make it all about him oh, wow. and his character he's, real, he's, he's mm-hmm. denying his scene partner the scene partner is really trying to build something up mm-hmm. and those end up just being like not the best scenes but you know, when you can get out there and just know you have that safety net that everyone's got each other's back yeah and you're building each other up and my role out here is to make everyone else you know look as good as possible mm-hmm. that that's what i really uh enjoy about uh just the activity of performing improv but mm-hmm. so much of those those tenants carry over into what i chose as a profession so leading creative teams and so on like no one likes the creative director to where you're pitching ideas and they're just like nope uh-uh sorry too tired seen it thought of it <laughs> like that's just not or yeah. there is a good concept. and we're going with my idea yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's like they take your idea and they make it their own somehow yeah. over time that's the worst no one likes no one wants to be in a scene with that guy. No right. one wants to work with that guy. Good point. And I, I've always tried my my best to run my teams to where everyone has his voice. And if you have an idea, like immediately I want to respond and add to it mm-hmm. and gift you with whatever I might have added to it. Take it, leave it, kick it around, see if it works. Mm-hmm. But that that's yours to go off and, and cultivate. Yeah. And so I, I've really tried to uh, operate like that and to where, yeah, getting back the work and the play, it, it just becomes this really good smush mm. to where that's what, what gets me up and, yeah. and good improv scenes start off in one place and end up in a totally different place. And I think it's all about the fun of, again, finding those diagonal connections. Mm-hmm. Like how do I get from Timbuktu uh, all the way here to like this dentist chair yeah. You know, and that sounds far fetched, but give give a good scene the opportunity, and like oftentimes, like they'll make it work. And so, have you found that um, to be true in your creative processes as well? That you're kind of employing similar techniques, and you're saying, okay, this is kind of like the client, the brand problem, and this it took this exercise took us to this solution that we didn't necessarily think we'd get to, or does it have a different manifestation? The my, my specific process is if there's some type of new input or problem to solve, mm-hmm. immediately, what is my first instinct? Mm. Like again, if you're on if you're on stage, yeah, and you don't have time to be like, okay, can I get back to you? You know, like <laughs> in a couple hours, couple minutes, right. or a day, you know, after I mull this over, yeah. So immediately take down whatever I can. If there's a group 
session. Oh man, what about this? What about this? What about this? Just to get it out there. Hmm. Because some of those little mind vitamins you're giving other people, like it take it takes a while to kick in. Sure. But you know, the I love those times where it's just like, hey, you said something the other day that I kind of thought about. And what if we did this and what if we do this? And then like they just came up with the idea. Or mm-hmm. they came up with like something that was better than anything else that they came up with. Yeah. But if you just keep it to yourself and you don't really share it. Um, it doesn't have a chance to, you know, get out, get out there. Um, but then conversely, I do enjoy the process of going back and being by myself and then start to kind of noodle and figure out and let my mind wander and try and figure out those connections. So I, I think it's, you know, straddling the fence a little bit. And a lot of that has to do with, I guess, enabling an environment where it's okay to share and feel people feel comfortable sharing and that sharing is encouraged, a lot of times you can have these, I've, I've been at some jobs where I had these thoughts and I, w- I didn't feel comfortable sharing because I felt stupid. I didn't know if they'd be right. Um, I didn't know if they'd be welcome or, you know, it was only the people at the top um, who are welcome to right. give input. And and then that process happening early and then it sounds like your process, having time by yourself, those things have now fed into the the alone time to kind of grow the tree, if you will. Yeah. I think that they kind of feed themselves and I, I'm like a extrovert introvert also mm-hmm. to where I'm an introvert by nature, but with extrovert tendencies. So, you know, the, yeah. the serious, the serious guy, the intimidating guy, yeah. that just might be happened of like, I'm just in that introverted mode. Sure. Um, but when, with the right stimuli, it's just like, all right, let's start making connections. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's something that as I've, I've, as I've matured and gotten, uh, older, the, my, you know, my, with my entire career, I get more satisfaction out of every, you know, person I worked with or junior person I worked with, if they had a positive, uh, remembrance of me about making them laugh or feeling important or mm-hmm. feeling heard, like I see it so much more satisfaction out of like any success story, any fandom or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because all that stuff, like it's like future trash. Like it's like mm-hmm. it's great at the moment, but it's kind of fleeting. And then you're like, it's just kind of like disposable. Sure. Uh, but just trying to weave uh, this is a satisfying impact on someone that I, I think that that's what I've continued to try and do, and hope I do it for another fifty years. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we this episode we've gone all over the map. We've gone from yeah, sorry, you know, <laughs> no, it's been great. We've gone from you know what first got you into you know being a creative in the first place to the various roles and then obviously the future of technology and marketing and branding um if if you wanted the audience to come away with one thing after listening to this episode what would that thing be for people to take away the um one one silver lining that i think came out of the lockdown Mm -hmm. is a little more humanity came on the world yeah. And saying, I don't know, has become a little more acceptable mm. of a response. Not the, I don't know, like no one wants to hear it. I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. the imp- implication is like, I don't know, I don't care. Right. But if the, if the response sometimes, and often it is, I don't know. But even saying it like that, the slight inflection of like, I don't know, but I'd love to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Like that's what mm. uh, I, I think getting more comfortable recognizing uh to yourself for sure but even outwardly like i don't know has become a much more acceptable response Mm -hmm. as long as it's followed up with some type of activity right it's chasing down uh your own interest in it it's letting curiosity lead you down the next rabbit hole and so on yeah because i I think some people get so dissatisfied with whatever they're doing Mm -hmm. that uh because they faked an answer too many times yeah when maybe a more genuine answer would have been i don't know and that mm-hmm. could have led them to a new project, a new career and title, a new mate. Sure. Hey, is this, is our dating relationship working out? I don't know. Right. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Versus like, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> instead of, I don't think too many people <laughs> go, I don't know. Uh, but I think most people kind of like fake it too much in, in life. And so I think uh, that that's, that's one thing that I've noticed personally in myself and in others, just letting one layer of our outward shield drop down a little bit. Yeah more to have these little, you know, interactions and and discussions. I think part of that too is um, accepting that answer, right? If you're on the other side of, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, You know, 
responding well to that. And then the other thing that just popped in my mind is if you are giving these fake answers or you're just covering your butt, it's it's rare that you are learning because you were able to right. stop the bleeding for that moment in time. Right. But if it's, I don't know, let me get that answer for you. Now you're required to take action and you may very well know a lot more with that attitude than you did when you were just pretending that you right. actually knew it. Like so many of the things that you're doing now. Yeah. The genuine response of like, hey, do you know how to start a podcast? I don't know. I give it a try. I That's can right. figure it I can research and figure it out. Yeah. And and here you are versus if your response is like, yeah, I know how to do it. I just have chosen to do it. You know? <laughs> and then you probably put it off because now you're nervous, scared, and feel dumb. Right. And people don't like to feel like that. It's much more if it gives you more confidence in a genuine, truthful answer of, I don't know, like then you, that should be your answer. And part of that is working with people like the amazing team here who, mm-hmm. you know, if these people weren't working the audio and the video and doing the editing, I wouldn't know what I've learned over a year of podcasting. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, how can people follow you, uh, follow you zealous in the ways that you'd like them to? The, uh, LinkedIn really like as boomer of an answer as that might be. Like I, yeah, I, I get, LinkedIn. I get a lot more of the curiosity. Like mm-hmm. I, if I go to social media, I, I don't really feel like I get too many answers. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole lot of noise. Yeah. And so, and you know, so I, I just, I, I think I, I get a lot more, uh, fruit bearing trees over in, in LinkedIn. So that's why I've chosen yeah. to like spend some of my time and I don't write thought pieces and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, re- but really that and zealous, you know, we have been around like we're super babies. Like mm-hmm. we, there are the people that are part of it and are very experienced and tenured, but zealous proper started in essentially July. Wow. Yeah. So getting that up and running and just so much of the focus has been put on the projects that we already had like signed Mm-hmm. to to go do yeah and so we've been off to the races and we're building out our own proprietary wallet product cool that um we're really trying to again like get some of the jank hammered out with yeah. some of the existing products and just make it easier to make that migration possible mm-hmm. because like no one wants to go through the seven steps to get a new metamask wallet if we're right. able to get it down to two taps and a click like who, sure. would, who wouldn't want you know to do that yeah. so that, that's a really big uh focus Great. So no website yet? No, yeah. It's a zealous, uh, zealous IO. Zealous IO. And, uh, the, it really, it really is. I would not, uh, it's, it's on the list of our internal branding to do, mm-hmm. but it's one of those decisions we had to make of like, okay, do we burn opportunity cost? Do we burn all this time getting our stuff to look so good, but we missed the boat yeah. on projects one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those. So like, okay, well, you know, we have this, you know, effectively a placeholder. Yeah. Um, because we aren't trying to like win business like that. Again, it's, it's there for, for presence, but not gamesmanship of like, right. come check out our website. Our website's better than their website. Therefore you should work with us when that's not really the, the, the case. Like we're not trying to win people's business necessarily. A plumber's faucet is always leaking. <laughs> yeah. A, what's the NFT? Is that, is that the Dalai Lama? That? Was that? Probably. <laughs> Yeah, it's a and a miner's smart wallet is always yeah a, a solidity coder's tokens are <laughs> never scripted. <laughs> Perfect way to cap off the episode. Well, thank you so much, Dale Alexander from Zealous. Thank Join you, me man. today on the DLC Drop Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.